This is the Ezra podcast. And so it's a busy fight weekend for boxing. Huge fight weekend for boxing. A lot of, uh, you know, not only were they uh, competitive fights, but they were important fights. As far as, you know, the future of those weight divisions that fought on. Future of like pound for pound, for pound meaningful fights. These had a lot of implications of how we're going to move forward in boxing. As you could tell, this is a boxing edition of the Ezra podcast. So let's start off with the, let's go in the order of which way, the when, of how I saw them, when I saw them. And that's go Triple G versus Murata, which I was up three in the morning to watch. Uh, I literally got up at like 3.30. I think I caught the co-main event and the main event. Um, I don't, I don't mind these early shows. I mean, I think three in the morning's pushing at five in the morning. I mean, like if, I, if you give me six in the morning all day, every day, I'll take down the Saturday. The cards, there's too much things. I had so many screens on by the end of the day. It's ridiculous, right? I, I bought a, I have two TVs. I got one TV that's on two stools. I got a projector that's shooting against a wall on my stairs. I mean, I, I'm, I'm, I had to go pull boxes there in my garage so I could stand the projector on it to get it high enough so it, it missed the railing of my stairs. Right. So I'm working really hard to see all these fights. And I'm, I'm at some point I can't even enjoy all of them. And the worst part is I was put all my focus on the, you know, Ryan Garcia fight while the Lubin fight's happening. And I had to go back and watch Lubin. I've, I've seen the Lubin Fedora fight now probably four times now. Uh, my wife wanted to see it again after I already saw this morning. And so we just watched it. And it, it, I'm not complaining. That's a great fight. It's a fun fight to watch. Ryan Garcia won. I've, I've seen twice. You know, I've, I've seen one and a half times. And that, that's a tough, that's a tough watch second time. But, um, even if we're only going to watch half of it, but let's start off with Triple G and Murata. This is, like I said, this is on early in the morning. Um, I picked Triple G in this fight to win by, I thought he was going to cause a lot of damage to Murata and they would stop it late, late in the fight. Uh, didn't start the way that I thought it was going to start, but I did tell you that who knows what Triple G is going to, you know, come out there. He's 40 years old. So when you're 40 years old, it's no way that I can guarantee that this is the performance that I'm going to see or you're going to be able to do what you could do in the previous fight. There's just no way of guaranteeing it. He could fight next week, and I still can't guarantee that it's going to look like what he fought Murata. Now, I did think that Murata's style would would deal with the ring rust better than Triple G because they've both been out for a long time. And Murata isn't as precise. His offense is he kind of just like if he's punching a, a heavy bag, that's the way he kind of fights. I don't think he puts uh, precision as like, is that important in what he's doing? I think he just kind of works and he gets to a comfortable spot, gets flat footed and just works at that point. And so he started doing and he really didn't respect Triple G's power early. And it really didn't look like Triple G's power was doing anything too early. And it looked like Triple G was old. He looked rusty. He looked a combination of all those things. And I thought, honestly, like in the second round, I thought, I'm like, I even tweeted. I was like, he's, he's going to get stopped. Triple G's going to get stopped in this fight. It looked like the body shots were hurting him. It looked like when he couldn't get his power, he was just forced to move around the ring a lot more than he wanted to. And Murata was just kind of putting it on him, it felt like. Then Triple G gets off the ring rust. He warms up because people were saying that age wasn't a factor or, you know, so there's a lot of things being thrown out there on you know, what why Triple G was struggling in the beginning. It was definitely because age. And it's definitely because he needs to warm up. It's definitely because he can't do the things that he used to do. Like as far as head movement, it's no longer there. He did used to have head movement. I know people don't want to give him credit for that, but there was definitely head head movement early in his career. It was slight, but it would uh, allow him to stay in the pocket and work off of those little slight head movements, making his opponent miss. He doesn't have that anymore. He can't time it. He's getting he get clipped up by Murata, right? So what he starts to do is he 
he actually starts to box. I don't know if anyone's giving him really credit for what he's doing, but he starts circling Murata, not letting Murata get set. Because Murata has to be set to punch, and he's not good at adjusting. So he starts moving Murata around and um, using his jab and then going with the overhand right. So he's walking Murata into it. And once he started doing that, Murata eventually, you know, when he was doing well to hold, uh, holding up well to those shots early, he starts falling apart to him later, right? And Triple G has real power, and we know that power doesn't go. So when he starts those shots that he was good, when he was seeing them, when his feet were set, but when he started moving and he couldn't get set and he just kind of turning into big shots like that, that's when he started seeing that Murata was not going to hold up. And Triple G uh, showed once again the skill level that he was able to pull off in a different, uh, technically, you know, he could fight different styles. You know, it's not just a come forward guy. Like he has skills, you know, Triple G, I said, is like a real controversial figure in boxing because a lot of people want to say that he you know, it's kind of like trash, and people say that he's, you know, uh, all-time great, and I think probably both are an exact, or, or both are ex- obviously an exaggeration. I think Triple G's skill level, though, is is at a really high level. I, I think that we, if we say that he's not a uh, highly skilled fighter, I, I, I believe that's that's not true. I think that's uh, purposely being negative. Um, he does not have the resume to be an all-time great. That's just the case of it. But his skill level has been, to me, been proven in the ring, especially with his fights with um, Canelo. But Triple G gets a win, and to me, it's going to be the the. It's probably a good. It, right now, it's the best uh, middleweight win out there this this year, and probably ends up being the best middleweight win this year. I can't see uh, how someone would surpass it. I think Murad is a top five middleweight. Now there's an argument on you know inactivity and people passed him, but I mean the counters I heard were Lara who has one win at middleweight against a guy named Cornflake, okay? So you can't tell me that he practically didn't fight at middleweight. That's honestly the truth with Laura. So don't tell me, oh, inactivity of Murata, when Laura practically didn't fight at middleweight because that one fight he had was against a guy that is no, you know, a B-level fighter at best, right? A B-level fighter at best. Murata's... Inactivity is equal to what the hell Laura did at middleweight. So don't tell me Laura, right? And if you're already pulling up Laura, if I ask you who's top five middleweight, and when you get to number five, you have to say Laura, then it's Murata. Okay, I'm correct. Okay, don't tell me Laura. Okay, the only other reasonable answer was like Jenna Beck. That's it. Maybe Eubanks, but no, not Eubanks. Okay, it's either Jenna Beck, Murata. Murata loses now. It's Jenna Beck stepped in. You notice that Laura didn't uh, slide in the top five. So don't tell me Laura. Okay, don't. It's not BS each other, okay? Don't tell me that Selecki is a credible opponent. It's, it's, just, it's not, let's not do that. Let's not fake it, okay? It's not true, okay? Murata was a top five guy, okay? Whether it's a great resume in middleweight, no one has a great re- resume in middleweight. If you really want to go down that path, okay? No one has a great resume in middleweight. His is passable for top five, okay? Everyone else is the trash. So Triple G gets to me you know after all this criticism that we had for him and rightfully so because he was not fighting anyone he was just taking these paydays for his contract he probably gets the biggest win in middleweight this year now that's sad speaking for middleweight division this just shows how low the middleweight division is but to me triple g puts himself back, right back a number one guy for middle and middleweight I'm, I'm sorry now do i think that's skill wise do i think that's off ability or you know where he's at right now no i mean i think charlie would beat him i think andrage would I would favor Triple G in that matchup, but I, Andres Alboxen wouldn't be stunning to me. I think he beats Munguia, but I'm just saying that's the middleweight division, okay? That's the middleweight division. To me, he's back on top at middleweight. 
Now they have a Canelo fight coming up. Uh, I, this did not uh, assure me that that could be a good fight or a competitive fight. I think Canelo is just too much for him. And I think that if Murad is landing that early and Canelo is landing that early and his body's not going to hold up, I think Canelo's going to put a beating and get the stoppage. But I think that's a shame, really, that the Canelo fight is available to him because I think the Magia fight is a much more entertaining fight. To me, it's a top five fight that could be made right now. If I need, if you're going to give me, tell me, make five fights, right, that are, inter, it's going to be entertaining, it's going to have a lot of hype on it, and it's, you know, um, a lot of hype, entertaining, and meaningful, I think Triple G versus Magia, it's, it's definitely in my top five, might be in my top three. I mean, I think that's a real shame that that fight isn't next. The idea I threw out there was, you know, everybody says that Canelo has a third fight with the uh, matchroom, and everybody's saying that it's going to be Ryder. Well, if it's going to be Ryder, let me just get Ryder next after Bavol and put Triple G, Munguia on the undercard. Co- two, uh, you know, both co-main events. I would pay 90 bucks for this. It's own pay-per-view. This, that's a, like I said, if you listen to my podcast, I, I throw out ideas. That's an idea. You could take it. That's 90 bucks. I guarantee everybody pays it, right? Everybody wants to watch Canelo. Right, that's already the event, and now you have Munguia, the upcoming uh, up and coming Mexican fighter, versus Mac, the the Mexican style Triple G, right? And the winners of the, both these fights are going to fight each other, and you have to assume right that it's Triple G and Canelo. But if it comes out Canelo and Munguia, well then, damn, you just enter uh, Munguia into some kind of stardom because he beats Triple G, and now he has Canelo, and you have an all uh, Mexican from Mexico main event set up for you. That's that's off the that's off the top right there. That's a freebie. But I don't know if they already had a deal. I'm guessing they already had a deal with Canelo Triple G. That's already signed, so it's not gonna happen anymore. But I just like that idea because I really want to see Mungia versus Triple G, especially if I have to see Ryder. I'd rather see it on with the card of Mungia Triple G. But I think Triple G looked good for his age. Um, Steel to me is now back at the number one middleweight. Um, that doesn't mean I think he'll beat everyone. That just means, you know, it's just off resume what you've done. And I don't know. That, that's how bad the middleweight division has been. The, the Triple G could come back, beat Murata, and put himself right back. You know, after basically three lousy performances before this. Where he got wins, but they were really against uh, no one that is of any, you know, credibility at that weight class. Or the Derby Chico fight where a lot of people felt he lost. I mean, it was a very good fight. But... To me, this is the Triple G that kind of, you know, it was Triple G as performance, like where Triple G kind of gets hit early and stuff like that, but he's getting hit a lot more. It was a lot cleaner. He definitely looked like a lot more concerned than he usually does. Okay, then we go on later on in the night, and we got Ryan Garcia versus Emmanuel Tago. And I told you Tago was going to be more durable. Uh, it was going to show durability in this fight. So I was right about that. I thought he would definitely stay on the inside more, but with Ryan Garcia, he has... Abilities of such a speed and power that you cannot, we never will truly know how someone's going to react to his speed and power until they're in there, right? It's the same thing as like Pacquiao. I'm not saying they're on the same level, but I'm just saying Pacquiao speed and power that you can say, oh, I'm going to be in there. And you can say, this guy's always in there. He takes good shots, but you don't know how he's going to react until he actually gets touched with it. Until he's actually in there, actually in there. And once, uh, to go said, I'm going to fill him out. And once he fouls him out, he said, I'm going to keep moving and I'm going to play defensive and I'm never going to go for a win in this fight. I'll take a few chances spread out throughout the fight, but I'm never going to take a chance to actually win this fight. I'm never going to actually commit to trying to win this fight. And he didn't. And I'm not saying that that excuses Ryan Garcia 
um, from the whole performance, right? But if we're being fair, he wins every round, right? By a wide margin. He doesn't really get touched, right? Very few. Like, if you're going to look at the numbers of when he got touched, it's going to be equivalent to, like, a defensive specialist who's moving off the back foot and not allowing a guy to get even close to him. But Ryan Garcia is doing that while coming forward, just off of what his ability is alone, just off his speed and power. Now, of course, I went into this fight saying, right, I made a post saying I still, I'm selling my Ryan Garcia stock. Okay. I made a post of this before this fight happened. As soon as he left the gym and went with Goosen, and that wasn't uh, uh, against Goosen, that was just against whether Ryan Garcia can be criticized. If he thinks he's above criticism, if he's going to always want it his way. Well, we're going to find out with Goosen, right? Because Goosen has some work on his hands. Because I already told you that Ryan Garcia loses himself. He loses his distance. In a combination that he is, honestly, if we're being honest, a terrible combination puncher. Because his legs are so bad. He loses his legs. He needs... He's good with range. He has good feeling. He has good timing. Off the first shot. Maybe even off the second one. But when he gets the third one or fourth one, oh, he's out all over the place. He still makes same defense flaws. He wasn't so jumpy or, or leaning straight back. But to be honest, Togo never really tested that. His jab uh, was getting started early, but it's not something that's like really natural to him or second nature to him at all yet. His right hand did look very good. You know, he definitely landed some big right hands. Probably, I think, the, one, the shot that uh, set up Togo getting hurt was overhand right. I, I, like I said, you, it's but it's very hard to, if a guy who's a pro fighter, right, who's experienced, who is durable, because I told you that Togo wasn't a guy that's like a glass jaw or, you know, as soon as he gets touched, he's going to fold, decides that he's just not going to fight and he's just going to go for survival. It's tough to get him out of there. It's just the truth is, and I'm going to use, I'll give you an example of myself, right, who's not a high level fighter and never was. And I used to train a wild card gym. I used to box pros. Sometimes I'd be outgunned. Like, just, that was just the case, right? I'd be outgunned. I mean, you probably think that's probably pretty common that happened. But you'd be surprised. You know what I mean? It's be easy now. But what I'm saying is there were times where, you know, when you're facing experience, bro, where I just had to survive. And I am not as even as skilled as a man to go, right? And I could. I could choose to just survive and make it defensive and make it very hard for you to land anything and just make it ugly. And I'm not winning. I have no I'm not even trying to win. I'm not even trying to be competitive. I'm just trying to survive. I can do that. And I could take away a lot of um, what you want if I'm just choosing to survive. If I'm never looking for my game, it could, I can make it real ugly to where you're all clearly winning, but I can go rounds. Okay. And this happens to a lot of guys. So this isn't uncommon. This is people act like, oh, like this is unheard of. This is very common in boxing, especially when guys are coming up. So this is what the problem is with the matchmaking the Golden Boy is doing, right? And Golden Boy doesn't miss a matchmaking too much. I got to give him the credit. On this one, they did. Because it's okay if this performance happens against a known guy, right? If this is Jojo Diaz, and Jojo Diaz is on a complete back foot and chooses not to fight Ryan Garcia, we're not having the, the conversation that we are having today. Where Ryan Garcia is the weak link. Ryan Garcia uh, needs to grow. He needs to develop. He didn't create openings to get the finish. He didn't show other things in his game. We're not having that talk. So Ryan, Ryan Garcia and Goldboy are in an interesting situation where you have to match him with guys that are respected and at the top of the division, right? But you also have to give him room to grow into his game. 
And it's a point where the fame is surpassing maybe the ability, but Ryan Garcia has a lot of ability, but the skill isn't there. And Goose is going to have to figure a way to slow Ryan Garcia down, to get him his footing correct, uh, to find uh, you know those in-between shots like a jab, uh, shots to set up other shots, because he doesn't have that yet. And to me, he's never really ever had that. It's always been off of just speed and power and natural ability and fighting people like you're fighting a Cobra bag, which I do believe is kind of affecting his game. I don't know if, like, and this sounds ridiculous, right? That the Cobra bag, whatever it is, I think it might be affecting his game because the way he stands when he hits that, for show, it's not realistic to an actual fight. Now, there is ways to hit that thing and the way the ways to use it to where it benefits you, right? But I think the way that he hits it, I don't think that it, it's realistic to, like, I don't think he's, like, moving with it. And, it, you know, like he says, I just hit that for show sometimes and put it on, on Instagram. I understand, but I'm, I'm seeing the way he fights and I'm like, it's kind of like the way he hits the Cobra bag. So, Goose has his work on with him. Oh, his work work in front of him with Ryan Garcia, but Ryan Garcia has all these abilities and he's kind of, uh, he's legitimate. He's a legitimate threat to anyone. Okay. You're not going to tell me that Ryan Garcia has no chance. And it's not just a puncher's chance. I'm talking about, this is raw ability here, right? And he is very good. And if he's putting pressure on you, it, he's too worrisome, right? You, if you're Devin Haney, right? You've had trouble with shots. You let that have been landed by Joe Diaz and Leon Norris. If Ryan Garcia lands a shot on you, you're going to sleep, right? Tank, who offense is, to me, far superior to Ryan Garcia's right now, especially because of just balance alone. But if he gets caught and he's trading and he is offensive first and does forget defense sometimes and gets caught by Ryan Garcia, it could be over. Okay, That's with everyone in the division. But Ryan Garcia is not a finished product yet. I don't believe he is. And to me, he's not consistent enough yet. And to me, when he goes into those fights, he has a chance, a definite chance. But it could very well be, he, you know, that those holes that he has in his game, there are consistently there, really show against the higher level guys. And with Devin Haney, right, who has had performances that are really question, more questionable performances than he's had, like, you know, he's hadn't had a performance at the top level where you're like, that's the guy. He's the best guy. This is the, to me, no, he hasn't had that. But the holes that he does have in his game, they're not shining as bright as what Ryan Garcia's are. So you would have to think the matchups coming up are Jojo Diaz, maybe Fortuna, even Maxi Hughes in a, England isn't a bad idea. I think that it's going to have to go the tank route with Ryan Garcia. Not saying that Tank needed this development like that he has gotten, right? I think they've kind of held him back somewhat on his opponents. But I think Ryan Garcia is only 23 years old, going to be 24 soon, I imagine. And I think that he has definitely a year and a half to two years where you could just bring him up the correct way with good name opponents. But you're not going to probably want to fight the Lomachenkos, the tanks i think Devin haney would take that chance because Devin haney doesn't have power right uh cambosos he would take that chance but mostly tank and lomachenko uh tfimo a guy like that he'd probably keep him away from uh garcia right now 
And I think it's a correct move. And you got to bring him up. And he's doing, he's, you know, there's a tension when he fights. It's just no doubt about it. And he, and he sold good on that. That's, um, where, you know, where he was at, I believe it was Alamo Dome. He, he sold good there. He's a star. I mean, just, that's just the, that's just it. But he's not ready for me, like, to try to make the claim for the top guy at 135. He just isn't there. And Haney, they are saying he is there, right? And I have my doubts. I have my doubts at that, right? And I think that even if Haney were to lose, right, to Cambosos, he's so young and is a, to me has the capability of being a really high, has very high ceiling for what he could be, but he might not be there yet. Right. But because they feel like at the young age of 23 years old, that he needs to prove himself. They're going to take that chance. And I think that if he loses, watch what I, which I would expect him to lose Lomachenko if he eventually fights him, you're going to see a lot of people, um, back out of the Haney, uh, bandwagon. And that's what I'll be buying up all my stock because you got to remember that there are fighters. Not everyone is champ at an early age, you know, and not everyone winning a championship at early. age doesn't mean that you're going to be a great fighter, right? Like Tiafimo, a lot of people are still their stock on Tiafimo. And you remember he was undisputed, whether, you know, the stupid things of the belts, like whether that was a real belt or whatever, he was undisputed and beat Lomachenko at a very early age. And look at him now. Everybody sold their stock from him. So the, not one win makes you for sure, right, a legend. Or everything, or one loss ruins your whole career. It's just not the case. You look at guys like Winky Wright who had a few losses. And then eventually, later in his career, in his 30s, he's suddenly the number one guy at 154 pounds. So I think Ryan Garcia bringing him up um, and taking your time with him is the correct way to go. And you're going to see Haney, who's kind of going a different route, just saying what I am right now. I think it's good enough to challenge for the best in the world. Now I pick Haney to beat Cambosos. I had not my I haven't officially broken it down yet, but right now I'm leaning towards that. I wouldn't pick him to beat Tank or Lomachenko. But how old are Tank and Lomachenko? That's experience. That's um mastering their game to a certain point. That stuff's important. And the fact that we try to you know, now the, the cool thing is to rush everybody along and put them all. You got to be fighting for titles. It's there. There there takes time to this game. And you're seeing it with Ryan Garcia, who's going to be taken care of. They're going to take their time with him. The last fight that I watch boxing wise is Lubin Fondora. And what an excellent fight. Now, definitely more one sided than what the judges had it, what Steve Farhood had it, and maybe even some of the fans had it. I definitely thought that Fondora was dominating that whole fight. Now, I think that you could have a dominating fight, right? You could have a one-sided fight and still have a very entertaining fight. Or maybe not one side, but you could have a guy winning, I'm saying, every round and still have very competitive rounds and competitive moments. And especially with Lubin landing a big shot, which a lot of people miss. A lot of people show the second shot, right? As if that's the one that hurts him. The one that hurts him is actually on the inside. He hits uh, Lubin. I mean, he, Lubin hits Fandora when Fandora is throwing a right hand, and he in Lubin is throwing his um. Lubin hits him with I believe with his right, while when Fandora is throwing his right hand, and they trade it, and then it just really tur- it turns Fandora's whole head to the side, and then they end up in uh, they end up clinching, but Fandora is like falling over. And then when they break up and he backs up just stiff, that's when Lubin explodes on him and gets the knockdown. And, you know, definitely the mouthpiece coming out kind of bit him, uh, bought him some time. But the round was, was coming to a close. 
So I don't know if it bought him enough time. It was like a few seconds. But other than that, really, Fandora puts a beating on Lupin. And uh, he, he he destroys him on the inside. And there was this narrative that I was seeing a lot of people talking. And I get it. It, it. A lot of the things that you get from a guy like Fandora, a lot of the takes that people have, it's just, you know, perspective. Perspective is a crazy thing. It was when you see Fandora, right, and he's so long and tall, it's so easy to say, well, he should fight at range. But you couldn't show me any example of him fighting at range and having success. All success is on the inside. That's what I was, my main thing was like, well, why should he fight at range? Because he's tall and skinny? Okay, that makes sense. That makes sense when you're training him at nine years old to be like, hey, you're going to fight on the outside. But when he's had success and he's a professional boxer and he's fighting for, eliminated for title shots, you're going to do what he's best at. And what he's best at is fighting on the inside. Another thing was saying is that Lubin's going to hit Fandora and fold him. He's not going to be able to take Lubin's power. Now, that's because he's tall and skinny. And you could just imagine a person who's tall and skinny getting hit and folding. It's very easy to imagine, right? You can very easily look at Fandora and be like, oh, once he gets hit, it's over. But there's no examples of him, his chin ever being in question. There's actually a lot of examples to the opposite of his chin being very strong. But perspective has people thinking that going into this fight that Fandora was... Needed to fight on the outside, and his chin was not going to hold up. Well, his chin held up, and he fought on the inside and destroyed Lubin. And the what we didn't talk about, what is actually there, is that Lubin has bad defense. That Lubin is a little bit chinny. And that Lubin likes to fight on the inside. He's not going to move around. He was gonna. It was going to be uh, gunpowder. Uh, gunpowder versus gunpowder. And Fedora wins that fight. Because, and I knew that going into it. That's exactly what I called it. The only thing I was off on this weekend was Brian Garcia not getting the stoppage. But I told you that Tucker was going to be defensive, uh, was going to be durable. But I told you that Fedora was going to wear Lubin down. Now, I thought Lubin, his success would have to come early. I knew that because it was going to be all his offense, right? And when he was at his freshest. I think Fedora's a little bit, uh, trickier defensively he does different things to you know at different ranges he also eats you up with his length uh is also his length is very good on the inside because he could get leverage and then when you're trying to hold he's still hitting you from shots because his arms are so far you can't seem to get a hold of him he can't stop them stop him from working and fedora's gonna be a problem for everyone as long as his chin holds up because once there's a problem with guys like that that are all offense. If you look at Hurd, right, who's a really good example of a guy who's all offense, all pressure, right, and big and strong. It was just once his chin started to go and that affected his mentality, well, then that's when he, you know, was ruined. So you kind of got to ride these guys like a hot streak. And I think that Fondora right now is ready for Charlo Castano, and he's very capable of beating either one of them. And just like... uh. Zoo, right, who we were more critical of Zoo than we are Fandora. And maybe it's because Fandora beat Lubin. But what Zoo did to Goucher, no one has done yet. And it was similar to an off, off, uh, an offensive pressure fight, right? Where he, But um, the one thing that Zoo does is he kind of keeps his range a little bit better. Now, Fandora, not that he does, not that he's doesn't know where he's at and he's falling over. No, it's not that. But he likes to just put full pressure. He wants to be on top of you the whole time. When Zoo likes to keep a distance and pick his shots as he's coming forward. So his forward pressure is 
just keeping in punching range when Fedora's pressure is he's all over you. He's hovering on you and you can't see where the shots come because he's so long that you're just kind of stuck in there. And the mistake that uh, Lubin made was he never kind of tried to go under the shots. Now, I know people wanted him to move around in box, but that, that's not really what Lubin does. Lubin's an offensive guy. He has to believe in his offense. Now, he likes to stay inside the good range of pick shots because he's pretty balanced and he's pretty gifted with the range of punches that he can throw and where and precise how he can put them. But Fedor didn't allow any of that. Fedor just started working and didn't allow Lubin to really think where he wanted to place his shots or, you know, what angle he wanted to get. No, he was just like, I'm just going to uh, shell up in this part right here. And then Fedor is killing him and getting shots in between to the side. And then Lubin starts, starts to have having to open up way more than he wants to way more than uh than he usually does since you know being knocked out by charlo and it was just all discomfort the whole fight and fedora could do that to anyone so all it's gonna be is how you know the thing that could hurt fedora the most is can his chin hold up and if his chin's holding up like it has been this whole time he's really gonna be almost impossible to beat another thing i wanted to talk about with fedora is the performance he had before this, and it was it was perfect, right? Um, almost perfect. Not that they planned this, but just for, you know, when you're thinking boxing, right, and you're thinking about these matchups, Fondora, who people think arguably lost to Sergio Garcia, his last fight, and struggled with Sergio Garcia, then they put Sergio Garcia on the undercard of this Fondora Lubin fight, and he fights Tony Harrison, and Sergio Garcia gets schooled by Tony Harrison, right? Now, I picked uh, Tony Harrison to win that fight. I thought he was too skilled, and I didn't think that uh, Sergio Garcia hit hard enough to, you know, really make uh, Harrison pay later in a fight where he usually falls apart. I thought he was pretty secure, of not, even if he fell apart, that Garcia wouldn't be able to change the fate of the fight. But that performance, right, right before Lubin, right, that performance, when the crowd all went to sleep, uh, wasn't exciting. Uh, Fondor didn't look like a, uh, you know, didn't look like a, a dominating guy. Didn't look like a guy that was ready to be undisputed or ready to knock off Charlo. And it was because he was working something else in his game, right? In that fight, he did try to fight Edling. He tried to box. And because of that, it ends up being a competitive fight. Now, it's a fight that I thought Fondora won, but I definitely didn't think it was a, a great performance by him. I definitely... Uh, didn't think that him boxing was his best way of winning, you know, any major fight any against a high-level opponent. But I think they were trying to work some things out, and they were trying to figure it out. And you have to be very careful when you see those kind of performances. You have to look at it and say, was he doing what he was what he was best at in that fight? Because that, that's what exactly, I tweeted that out when I, after that fight. I said, okay, that didn't look good. I'll admit that. But that doesn't mean, right, that that's the Fedora's going to fight uh, Lubin. Because that's, that's not the case. That's not the one. I knew it wasn't. Because he's going to do what he's best at when he fights Lubin. So remember that. When we see these fights and we're like, oh, his last performance. What well, was he doing he was best at in the last performance? Because that's how you know. That's how you can measure stick it, right? Was he doing what he was best at in his last performance? Thank you guys for listening. This has been the Ezra Podcast.